Hello, you're listening to Stark Contrast, the Game of Thrones podcast at MovieFail. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and this week we're going to be discussing the eighth episode of Season 5, Hard Home. Um, so this... Okay, so last week, we sort of made a joke <laughs> that we wouldn't see any actual Hard Home in this episode, and also that the title wouldn't have, like, multiple meanings. But what's funny about that is like, because it's the name of a place so you're like okay well it's probably won't like the house of black and white how much could it mean um weirdly in this episode i i would argue i mean maybe if you take the name sort of liberally every single storyline fits the title it's really weird yeah it was a surprisingly malleable title uh compared to the rest of the right. season where yeah like you said we talked last week we joked about how, well, it's called Hard Home, so based on this season, obviously there's going to be no scenes right. at Hard Home whatsoever, but not only was the big scene of the episode at Hard Home, and you know, pretty much half the episode, I think, was there. Was it half the episode? It, it was at least 20 minutes. It, it's a, it was, you know, oh. about an hour long, I guess, but it was a large chunk. Yeah, and and, uh, and so there's that, and there's also, like, and we'll, we'll get into each of these, but, um, you know... It, What's cool is in most of the storylines, we're seeing uh, conversations about or or discussions about home and what home is being flipped on its head and family and things like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to take the name very literally, hard home is like, you know, it's difficult to live there. Um, but also, you know, and the idea that, you know, even if you're at home, the difficulties of living there might be, you know, depending on circumstances, maybe different. So just more, most obviously, like for example, Sansa is back where she grew up, but the circumstances of her living there right now are of course, uh, very difficult and trying. So I, I think that carries over to pretty much all of the, um, the storylines, even we'll, we'll get into Tyrion and Daenerys. Uh, even in that case, uh, Daenerys talks about going home, you know, whatever that means. Uh, and, you know, Tyrion has to counsel her and talk to her about, you know, <laughs> what rest what Westeros is like, what it's going to be like, um, you know, what kind of reception she's going to get when she gets there, even though it's technically home in some ways. Uh, so yeah, this whole thing is, uh, it was, I was just pleasantly surprised uh, by that. And I was also really surprised at how much they packed into one episode, considering there are episodes where it feels like almost nothing happens. Uh, yeah, this was a massive episode. And, you know, also compared to other episodes this, even this season, season, which yeah. has been, you know, yeah, this scene's been a lot of setup, and we got we got a lot of payoff. Yeah, I was gonna say your your tweet. Um, I hadn't seen the episode yet, and your tweet was something like, you know, this episode was brought to you by the word payoff or something like that. Were you spoiled on the hard home sequence before you watched the episode? Was I spoiled on it? Uh, I had no idea what was going to happen. I saw that like something White Walker related was probably happening. To to be honest, I saw that ahead of time before the um before the. Uh, episode happened there was somebody was like they were like a preview of tonight's episode and it was like random pictures and like the picture they used as an example was the picture of the night's king and it was like okay yeah well the um n- information about this sequence leaked on the internet oh. a, like months months and months ago so i was aware that white walkers were going to be there uh, because people said yeah it was an ex there's a scene at hard home i was an extra and the night's king shows up and, oh uh, you know, a bunch of stuff happens. And that wasn't confirmed until it was confirmed that they were going to have this sequence at Hard Home at all because this doesn't happen in the books. But we'll get there. Right, right. Um, well, I, I, I read so somewhere I, that uh, it did happen in the books, just not 
it was like mentioned in the books. Yeah, there's vague there's vague implications that something you know scary is happening at Hard Home, but no one goes to no POV characters go to Hard Home. We never see or get any like a clear picture of what actually uh, is happening over there. So it's yeah, interesting. Well, uh, we will get to Hard Home later because that is, of course, the finale of the episode. Um, but bringing it back to something a little bit more grounded, <laughs> uh, in King's Landing, uh, you know, last week you were talking about uh, uh, Lena Headey and how great she is as an actress. Um, and I think she really is... What's really interesting at this point is that she's had to do a lot of subtlety in the past, and her character hasn't dramatically changed all that much. To some degree, she has. Um Certainly, but nothing. Her mannerisms and things mostly stayed constant, and she wasn't in a position where she had to radically change her behavior. Um, um, so it's very interesting to see her now in this new position where she's a prisoner. Um, so, I, I, because because of what you said last week, I'm very interested to see if you enjoyed this scene. Uh yeah. I, um, I didn't. Uh, it it didn't excite me as much as as the conclusion of last week's episode, which was you know, well, that was designed a, to be. That was like a big, yeah. Exactly, it was designed to be really exciting. So, but this is much more uh, deliberate, I guess, in its pacing, and you know, intentionally so, or, or not even more than intentionally so. I thought it was just mirroring what's actually going on. I just on. thought it was interesting to see how different. Oh, first of all, how her what she's saying sort of changes throughout the throughout her her sequence, and then also. Uh, what she does and what she's like the position she's in it's just so radically different from her usual self so well it's it's also really weird to see her not in like a queen clothing yes that's also weird and it was weird with marjorie too right. uh, when we saw her last week you're like wait who is that again oh oh my gosh <laughs> exactly um so she had a great uh, exchange with the septa uh so this is the thing i totally missed uh, in this episode. So then she's talking to Kyburn, who I forgot was Kyburn. I, I, this character pops up like once every four or five episodes and it's like, oh, it's Kyburn again. He's that guy, like that weird guy, the sciencey guy. And then he just disappears. And I just forgot. I didn't mm-hmm. remember who he was. So he has this whole conversation with her where she's like, you know, we'll talk to this person. And he's like, no, you can't do that. We'll talk to this person. Yeah, you can't do that. Um, and then... Oh, and and also including Kevin, who who says like, you know, no interest, um, in or no ability or no interest in coming down to talk to her, and then uh, as he's leaving, he says the work continues. And what do you think of that line? I did nothing at the time. That's what I missed. <laughs> um, so what is his is the if the finale of this? I'm gonna laugh so hard if this is the finale. If the finale of this arc is that the mountain comes back to life and kills like the high sparrow and a bunch of the, um, the faith militant. It's going to be the most ridiculously absurd finale. I have to say, well, that's, that is a hundred. That's definitely what's going to happen. Like <laughs> they've set it up. So have like, I think that's absolutely what he's talking about when he says the work continues because every right, time we've wait. seen him this season, it's been in relation to that, but I didn't even think about, it. I just thought it was like, um, cover up for just, you know, she didn't, Maybe he wanted to like not let the Septa know that you know what he was saying, uh, what what they had discussed, or wanted to make it seem like you know she's not scheming or something. I don't know, whatever. I thought it was just a cover up. I didn't really think about it, and then I was like, as I was reading rereading the summary of the that section of the episode, I was like, oh right, yeah, that's gonna be hilarious. 
I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that it could go. Um, one way, obviously, like you said, is uh, the reanimated corpse of the mountains just slaughtering all the sparrows, which would be crazy. Uh, it could, when you have a kind of, presumably, you know, we don't know to what extent this new mountain will be will be conscious. It could very well just be a zombie who's uh, takes Kyburn's orders, or just like a, a Frankenstein monster who takes Kyburn's mm-hmm. orders. That seems that seems more likely to me. Uh, so it could do anything that Kyburn asks it to do. It could break Cersei out of prison. It could, uh, you know, kill whoever. And obviously, the mountain being so physically formidable uh, makes that even a, a more terrifying prospect than it would be otherwise. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think well. It'd be cool if, you know, I can almost envision a finale of, you know, Cersei, you know, regaining her power and at her, you know, the right hand, at her right hand is this reanimated corpse of the mountain. She has this drag kingdom, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just such a weird, if that is, I mean, it seems to be that's where they're going. If that is where they're going, it's so odd. Well, you, like, you know I what? don't, it's I just, just so, this whole plot line has been so, because they, especially since they keep tying it into the real world, quote unquote, um, you know, with all this political stuff, and it's really just about religious people and the crown, to then have a reanimated corpse enter the picture is just bizarre. Which is interesting because, you know, there's plenty of magic on the oh, show plenty, already, plenty, and we've, all, and we've had resurrected Landing, characters. You know, yeah, that's true. We, not in King's Landing. King's Landing does feel separate from the uh, magic of the right, rest of right. the world in an interesting way because it's all about the politics and the scheming and all that. But yeah, you're, you know, it it somehow feels out of place in this world, even though there have been resurrected characters. There are all different kinds of magic. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't seem out of place for kind of, Game of Thrones. It just feels out of place for And it also, story, it doesn't... I think it's also maybe because it's not really magic. Like you said, it's, you know, this weird uh, medieval science that he's doing. We don't know the specifics of it, but it's not like he's just casting a spell, presumably. He's, you know, he's a doctor, or analogous to a right, doctor. Right, right. He's doing some kind of medical experiment, and somehow that entails, you know, reanimating the mountain. And it's it's in that way outside of our, uh, as of our viewers, outside of our experience with how magic on the show even works, to tie it in with Science, which we associate with our our real right, world. right, right, yeah. Um, well, I mean, we saw wildfire, I guess, an example of that uh, way back when. So there's that, and then the one other thing I just want to throw in here is uh, Grand Grandmaster Pycelle has taken over control of the small council, and his character kind of irritates me. And I'm just gonna throw this out there really quick because. I really, really liked the scene in the first season where they have that whole thing where they show him being much more limber and youthful than he acts in public. And he's with that woman, and there was a whole thing. Uh, it's like this this scene, and like we're supposed to get something from that. Either, you know, well, that he's faking it and that he's this, you know, he's got other plans and machinations going on or whatever. But he never, that never comes to anything, ever. He's just sort of irritating in small council meetings. That's it. So I don't really get that character. Like, what? That, that, if this is pay, if this is payoff for that, that was five seasons ago. You know, um, it's just weird. I don't know. I, it was just a weird thing. And it's well, well, I don't, I don't remember the scene you're referring to. I thought, I thought that scene was. I don't know. I don't remember communicating that he was 
more limber oh. than he. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he, he gets up and he's like moving around that. and stuff. And then as he leaves, he like bends over and starts like shuffling out to pretend, you know, to resume his old man persona. That's very strange. Well, I think um, maybe you could just chalk up the rest of it to, you know, his character has become more of the doddering old fool uh, than maybe they were planning or expecting him to be at that point in the series. It could be, yeah. So maybe you maybe you know they just kind of abandoned wherever they were going with that and now this is just a version of the character the you know the the uh absent-minded old man is who this character is now and he is, you know, I'll, I'll give you that he's annoying. Um he is he doesn't seem to contribute much of anything. I think maybe when Tyrion did that thing where he arrested him and and, and cut off his beard uh, that would have been a good place to just write the character out of the show, yeah. maybe. Uh, but he's he's stuck around, so yeah, it's interesting. It's funny to imagine the small council that Pycelle <laughs> presides over because he's so seemingly incompetent. But right, well, unless this uh, is power play, I, I don't know. He sent for Kevin. Maybe this was his. This is what he wanted. That would be that would be to me more ridiculous and silly <laughs> and unbelievable than the mountain thing. The idea that that of all people, Grand Maester Pycelle was secretly harboring this master plan to take control of. King's no, 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 Landing. not take control. Of King, that would be crazy. No, 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 I mean that maybe he was. He would prefer if maybe he was interested in a different Lannister. You know, each of the small council people all had the people that they really were championing, championing in the background. You know, so that could be it. I don't think that he's interested in running anything, <laughs> but he's he's clearly making moves in the absence of a, a ruler, which is not something you might expect him to do because he's supposed to be just this like old guy who just sits there and is crotchety um but anyway it's just weird uh weird weird little side point i, I felt like i should point out because i always flash back to that scene and i'm always like there's no payoff to that scene speaking of payoff scenes um and so uh so moving on to bravos uh we get a lot of stuff with the uh the faceless men and uh, i'd love for you to explain this to me because i have no idea what happened in this scene i was hopelessly confused um, basically what's happening is, and it's... I mean, I get the basic idea that she's, like, learning, and she's becoming, you know, one of them, and she's getting all the... She's becoming very good at what she's doing. That's fine. But, like, this whole scheme thing that's supposed to be going on, I don't understand any of it. It was kind of cool to watch, but I don't know what was going on. It reminded me, you know what it reminded me of? Uh, that ridiculous sequence in The Phantom Menace when they're trying to do that betting on the pod racing and it makes no sense for like 20 minutes, they're going back and forth on like which one they need to bet on in order for this, that, and the other thing. And he plays, um, Qui-Gon Jinn has that whole conversation with the floaty guy with the weird nose and whatever. Um, that whole thing happens and like, you have no idea what's going on. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, the, the backstabbing and the, this, and the other thing. And all I could think of in this scene was that, was that moment. And I was just like indecipherable. I didn't know what was going on. Um, yeah. What's interesting is that I think in attempting to, to make it less confusing, salesman. they may have made it more confusing yeah, because what's essentially all that's happening here is that Arya is taking on a new persona in order to assassinate this person. And she's, you know, learning this uh, routine and, you know, becoming this... It's the whole thing with the Game of Faces, right? She's becoming this completely other person and you know, inhabiting... Letting this other person inhabit her convincingly, so she's doing the you know she's being this person out in Bravos and selling the oysters and everything and spying on this person, so she knows how she, presumably she's going to do right. it by poisoning his oysters, I guess. But it, I think that it what they probably should have done is have her actually like put on a new face and look like someone else because that 
would make more sense if she's in disguise out, you know, to, you know, spying. But I think they probably thought, well, then people people might be might be confused. They won't know if that's Arya or not. So we'll just have her look like Arya. But actually, maybe that confused you more, and that was a misstep. No, no, no. I totally got that. That wasn't it. It was just he, he, they keep cut, the cutting back and forth between. You know, she's explaining, you know, this this um, insurance guy and his whole insurance thing where he's not paying. I just didn't know what was going. Like, I, I didn't understand the the concept of what was going on. I think now, in retrospect, it seems to be that the basic premise is that what the faceless men do, I guess, is go out into the world, find people who kind of suck, and then assassinate them after they learn a lot about them. What well, he he said that um he well what Jack and told her is that this is a contract thing. They're like an assassin's guild. Yeah, but he said he had Someone no idea come to... until she found him. I thought that. I got the impression that that was that that is confusing. I agree. I the, the way that I interpreted it was that he sent her out there, and the test was, can you figure out who your mark is, basically? I would believe that. I, I, I totally I, that makes sense to me. Except for you know, she goes, "Well, how did you know I was going to see this that, and the other thing?" And he's like, "I didn't. I had no idea what you were going to say." And it was almost like she had to come up with who she was going to take out. On her own. That's what I thought too. But now that you're repeating it back, I'm thinking, well, maybe when he says that, uh, what, whatever the line is, uh, I, I had no idea what you were right. going to see. He's basically saying, I didn't know if you were going to see this guy or not, but you did. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like. I think the idea of them going out and just finding people they think, you know, finding people they think are not worthy of life or whatever, and then just taking them out is kind of a weird, cool. Um, very uh, fascist sort of way of going about life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I thought this scene was really interesting. Uh, it's rare on Game of Thrones that something is complicated to the point where it doesn't really make sense. But um, I think a lot of people would disagree with you really? on that. Well, I mean, the whole thing that people uh, say about Game of Thrones is that it's too hard to follow, and it doesn't make. Oh, any there's sense. a lot of characters and stuff, and you might be like, "Oh, I forgot about that character," but it's not complicated in that it's not like complex. It's just a lot. No individual storylines that hard to follow. Like you could basically trace from a, point A to B to C. Um, they don't get like caught up in like, you know, when I think of complex, you know, you think of like something that has like layers. Like let's say Ocean's Eleven has like a lot of layers, and you know, you're trying to figure out what's actually going on behind the scenes. That's not really going on for the most part in Game of Thrones. The most complex thing is figuring out people's motivations and what they're really going after. But you know, you'll eventually get that in some capacity. Like it'll be revealed to you. Um, but anyway, that's all a side point. Uh, so this is cool. And the other thing is that you know, part of the confusion might come from the fact that this is the first part of, you know, she. The end of the this scene is her going back to collect more information on this guy. She doesn't actually go through with it yet, so that'll probably be um, something that happens a little bit later, uh, maybe. In yeah, that was bizarre. I think that's the scene's biggest mistake is not just having her because when she was pouring the thing on the oysters, I was like, oh, that's poison. She's doing it right now, but instead she was just like gathering information because it doesn't make any sense. It, it would make much more sense if well, she I was think... Jacken and her were describing. Uh, what was going to happen over the scene of her doing it? That makes perfect sense, and that scene well, just is like exactly off. where they're yeah. going. I, I think what they what they're doing is they're going to set it up so that something will go wrong, and she'll have to deal with the guy, and she ends up doing it and doing it in secret, and actually impresses uh, Jack and Agar, and then 
you know, there's like some shot of her with the music playing and it's like, oh, she's going to go and kill people in Westeros now. And like, that's the big finale scene, which is kind of how last let's not forget. Ended. Let's not forget that Marin Trant is still on his way to Brothers. Oh, uh, so yeah, that, that could come into play. play. You're right. So that's also, you know, a possibility. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Um, but anyway, I, I did enjoy this stuff. I did think it was cool. And I think it's cool to see her take on this identity. I do think it's a little manufactured that she doesn't take a face because they don't want Maisie Williams to not be Arya. Um, yeah, going forward, it's going to be tough for them to handle that, I think, if this if they do a lot of scenes where she's uh, being an assassin with different faces. it's I think, I think they're going to have a hard time getting around the fact that they can't actually have Arya's actress in those scenes if they want to do it faithfully. Unless they do the unless they do the source code thing where it's just like we see Arya, but the rest of the world sees <laughs> someone else. No, no, I don't think they'll do that. I think what they'll do is um, that would be dumb. Uh, if that makes sense in source code or something like that, it doesn't make any sense here. I think what would be fine is because we're not an entity in Game of Thrones, you know. Um, so, but I think that what you could do is just have those scenes have her take on a like when Mystique becomes other people in X Men. We don't go what who's that? You know, like we get it. It's Mystique. And they do something to make it clear that it's Mystique by, like, having, you know, she'll flash blue or, like, yellow eyes or whatever the thing is. Uh, so they could just do that here. We're just like, oh, you see Needle. Oh, you know, you know, you know that. Or you see whatever um, to make it clear that it's Arya. Uh, or they won't. And that's another thing that you can do is that you can sort of have a surprise where... Um, that would be like, really of like, I would you know, somebody that. running around and like goes and kills someone. You're like, whoa, what was that? Who is this kid we're following? And then they kill someone, and then you're like, whoa. And then they like somebody passes by, and that's like a cut. And then as the cut, you know, transitions, uh, when they go by, it's all of a sudden it's Maisie Williams standing there. It's like, oh, it's Arya. I would, I would love it. I would love that. I would love it even more if the way they did it. I mean, this is hard because there's no other main characters in Bravo, so until like I guess Marin Trant and um, uh, Mace Terrell get there. But I would love it if there was a scene with the two of them. And then you you know there's just some random character in the background, and then that random character comes up and stabs Mace Terrell in the face, and it was Arya. <laughs> They're just completely interrupting another scene. Not even because when you're following a random character in Bravo, you expect something. Yeah. They send what we know. Yeah, you might expect that it's going to be Arya, but if you don't expect her to be there in that scene at all, it's even more surprising. Yeah, it'd be really cool if somebody like just walks up, or even if they like you know just like steps on his shoe and is like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't you know see you there, and then he gets pissed off, and then. Yeah, that could be a really. There's a lot of ways they could they could uh, swing it, um, but yeah. So there's, I think there's ways to do it. Uh, I do, I do think they've run into a little bit of problem. They, the same thing happened with uh, Tom Wallachia with uh, who plays Jack and Agar because they had him change faces at the end of season three, right? Season three, and uh, season two was wasn't it, two? it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was one of the few parts of season two I really enjoyed. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It was. And um, and people were like, oh, I really liked that actor. He did a really good job with this role and whatever. Um, people were kind of sad to see him replaced with some other random person. And then when we see him again, it's just him. I mean, he changes faces. Well, but that's the thing. that Well, that's not him, though. It's not the same person. It's just a face. And I think that was, like we talked about in the uh, whatever episode that was, I think that was a really good way to handle it is to put a face we're familiar with and therefore an actor we're familiar with and... So what you're suggesting it's not the same one she encountered before? Oh no, they they say they say it. The guy says, "I'm not Jack and Hagar. It's just a face he's using." Oh no, I did. I took that much more metaphorically. Like I don't have a real name. Like I'm, you know, I call. I told you that was my name, but that's not actually my name. You could. That was what I thought. I get, but I, yeah. Well, yeah. The only, I guess, maybe the only reason I thought that is because it's it's explicitly not Jack in the books. Is they've made 
this character into Jacken. And the reason I thought they did that is bas- is they would just have a character at the House of Black and White put on this face because that's what they uh. do. And now you can have this character back. But I guess you know, I guess, yeah, there's no reason it couldn't be. But like you're saying, why would that person? Uh, we last time we saw them, they were wearing a different face, and just now they're back at the house, black and white, and they put this face back on. I, I, well, I, I just know I, know. I like it better that it's again though. Though that's what I find weird is that you shouldn't use this face. Like to me, the way it was implied yeah. in that season, the, these faceless men like can do a certain amount of like assassinations with one face, and then they have to change and discard that face. I assumed for good. And that was how I... Yeah, you would have to, because you don't want, right. you know, to be recognized. So the only person... And he only does it inside this building, and no one's allowed in there. So I think that it's really just for Arya's sake. Well, no, he t- he changes into Jack... In this season, he changes into Jack and on the steps outside. Oh, does he? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, no one's around, but it is... Uh, open, yeah, because yeah, then he lets her in all dramatic, and then the episode ends, Right, remember? right, right. I don't know. It's all very confusing, but I think it's to the benefit of this particular organization that's meant to be mysterious and confusing anyway, so. And they're get, they've got an influx of faces, so they're they're not wanting Exactly, them, so. so I just find it, so I just assumed it was the same guy, but, and I'm sure most people watching probably assume it's the same guy. Yeah, I think that's what you're meant to, like, even if it's not, you, it might, might as well be. be. Yeah. It's, it's kind of irrelevant. Anyway, so all of that aside, so we get that, like, almost half story, um, but it is interesting and compelling. I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, we go to the wall where um, we get a little bit of Gilly and Sam. It's, it's not even really worth talking about, uh, I don't think. Uh, but then we... It's not even a... It's not really a thing. And then we get uh, Sam and Ollie who have a conversation about the same thing that you were bringing up before. With the, the, just keep harping on the exact same point. And of course, this is a setup for Hard Home, right? Obviously. Uh, to draw parallels with what the uh, what the the wildlings say, um, but it is frustrating. I I agree with you, what you said a couple of podcasts ago that to see the same arguments and the same you know tired rhetoric, like oh, but the the wildlings we've we fought them for so long, and my you know family died, and why are we doing this? It's like, yeah. You know, what's funny is actually I was more willing to forgive it with Ali because he's a kid and he has a direct personal no, no, connection. Totally. I totally like buy it. If, in but I, yeah, scene, but yeah, in yeah, the context yeah. of the season, it's like the fifteenth time we've heard the same thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm still sick. But of it. but I did think it was important in this episode because it does, uh, it does echo what happens in Hard Home and some of the conversations we see. So that was kind of cool. Do you hate Ollie as much as, as the rest of the internet seems to? I just don't care. He's barely in it. I, barely, I don't care. People just... I don't understand it at all. And you know what? I I, I, I think I do understand it because it's friggin' book purists and Ollie isn't a character in the books and they give him, you know, more than a frame of screen time and they're like, oh, they're changing, doing their own thing with the books. And freaking out. People despise Ollie. They despise he's this character for no it. good reason. Because, like you're saying, at best, he's not even a character. He's barely there. There's he nothing to hate until he shows up again and says something and then leaves. It just and and you know, it's funny. It's always funny to see like the when people hate something irrationally, so they try to they echo an argument that doesn't actually make sense in this context. I've seen people call Ollie like the annoying child sidekick trope, mm-hmm. which doesn't apply to Ollie. In any it way. Really doesn't. Like, or it does like, not at all or resemble that. He's, that. Um, Will Wheaton's character from Star Trek. 
Yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah, no, not at it's all. It's just stupid. He's not precocious at he's all. He's not precocious, but he's not, he's not even an idiot. <laughs> you, how can you even have a conversation about Ollie? How this is we, the most lines he's ever had. We're not having a conversation about Ollie right now. We're having a conversation about other people having a conversation about a character who doesn't really exist in this show or barely exists in the show. I mean, it's just absurd. I couldn't describe him. Although they, yeah. He did one thing relevant to the storyline, and I hated that scene anyway. I hated that episode, so who cares? And now he, the only thing he serves here is literally he does not exist in this scene. The only reason he's here is to read a bunch of lines that will then be echoed by the Free Folk later in the episode. That's it. Well, it seems like they're setting up more for Ollie in this scene because they have Sam gives him the whole advice. It's like, you know, sometimes you have to do the hard thing, but it's necessary and it's the right thing. And Ollie stares back with those, like, dead fish eyes and he's like, yeah, I understand. And it seems like that's going to come back in some way like they're finally because this this is the most lines he's had in any that episode this is the most conversation he's ever had it seems like with that it, that advice that because the show loves to you know have little bits like that that it brings back around later well, here's the thing uh, does that constantly it does do that but here's the thing i i don't we don't know this actor what's his name brennick o'connor which is a great name by the way uh we don't know this actor well enough to know if that cold stare is just him you know Bad acting. <laughs> Who knows, right? All he, we saw him scream and run and hide under a thing, and then we saw him shoot, uh, shoot Egret, and now he's talking to, like, basically that's all we've seen. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I interpreted nothing in this scene. Um, it would be weird if Sam delivered that line and it didn't come. It didn't mean something in some way, and I think that it. The most direct way to interpret it is that it will have significance to whatever Ollie does going forward, but it would—it just seems like a strangely significant moment to not have some significance I down the line. I see what you're saying. I just, for me, I just assumed it was really just there to prop up because we, almost the same exact dialogue happens at Hard Home, so I figured it was not the same exact, but the That's same true. topic. I mean, I, I could see that. You're right. Like, they gilded, you know, all of all of our families and whatever, and it's the same thing. And you're like, oh, they're both human. Cool, you know. Now you've humanized both sides of this argument. Um, that's what I thought it was. And I actually, I, I'm making fun of it, but I actually think it was really, that was pretty good. So I forgave this scene, even though I was, I'm tired of, uh, as I was sitting there watching him say this, I was like, oh, Josh isn't going to like this scene because this scene has the same complaint. It's just, yeah, it, it, like if you put it in the mouth of a child whose parents were killed by the wildlings, like I said, I'm willing right, to right, right. forgive it. But not when it's in the season where all of these you know, grown-ass men have made the exact same <laughs> argument because they're so petulant and so stupid, and they don't understand that the, you know, gigantic zombie army is coming for them unless they swallow their pride. That's about, like, accurate, though, to the real world, though, I'd say. You know, people... That's it, which is, you know, it's infuriating in the real it world, is. too. It is, you know, people, <laughs> you know, take something like global warming. Eh, it's not important, it's not important. Then, you know, a city goes underwater, and they go, oh, man, it's important. And the rest of the world's like, oh my god, what is wrong with you? Why didn't you believe us when we said it before? Something cataclysmic has to happen to someone before they care. Oftentimes. It's it's terrible, but it's, I think it's unfortunately very accurate to humanity. Um, but in any case, there's not much else at the wall, I don't think. Uh, yeah, it's just that scene, really I think. Um, we get some more Winterfell stuff. Uh, where we have another big reveal. Uh, well, not reveal, but something we've been waiting to see happen to some degree um, where uh, Sansa really interrogates Reek about uh, her brothers and learns that they're in fact not dead. And that's a really interesting scene. And I don't yeah. really know where it's going. 
Yeah, exactly. I don't know where it's going either. This is it's interesting to have that information come out because I don't know like what what Sansa's supposed to do about it at this point. Where does she go with that information? Oh, Other than the fact, you know, actually, I, just, I think uh, I know what it is. Let's okay. say what you let's I, say the, yeah, I just had an idea too. You, you have said. an idea. Yeah, but you say yours, and we'll see how similar. I have they a are. feeling that they'll deal with the Boltons, get rid of that. Let's say she becomes Warden of the North, and the first thing she says, maybe in the finale or in the beginning of the next season, is like. You know, they go like, "Well, what do you want to do first now that you're in back in charge of Winterfell?" And she says, "Yeah, I want to find Bran. I want to find Bran and Rickon." I think that might be how they do it. It's like her big power, like first thing she does that's of her own volition and not in service to really anyone else. That would be interesting. The, my idea was similar, which is that if this information comes out that Bran and Rickon are alive, she no longer is the heir to to Winterfell. Uh, right. So she loses, you know. That bargaining chip, basically, which that's the that's the dark universe version of what you just said. Well, she loses the bargaining chip, but she could get could get her out of this. Although then it also takes away whatever. Well, yeah, but now she's she not worth anything yeah. anymore. Yeah, but I, th- yeah, mm. there's a couple of ways. I could it would be a good way to set up. However, they're going to reintroduce Bran next season, and maybe Rickon. It could be. It could be. I mean, yeah, because who knows where that storyline's going? Um, hmm. he's going to be a tree lord by the time we next see him. A tree lord. He will be a child of the forest, and he'll be walking. Uh, so that's everyone can look forward to that. <laughs> he'll be fully hooked up to a tree, <laughs> his own tree. He'll be uh, part ent. Um, <laughs> so, in any case, uh, so you know, I don't know where this is going, but I think this is something that it. Um, I would say the cynical side of me thinks this is just the writers going. Well, the, the fans are probably expecting this to come out at some point, so we've got to have it come out at some point, and they just did it. Um, because it's obvious that that would come up eventually. Because they keep beating around it every you know every time there's they encounter each other. They're like, like you killed my brothers, and he goes, <laughs> you know, and then they cut to something else, or you know, the conversation takes a different direction or whatever. And now finally it comes out. So it's been they've been teasing it all season, and now it's finally come out. Do you remember? Do you remember if Sam ever told John that that his brother was alive? Hmm. I, uh, because Sam obviously knows, I but I don't remember if he ever I told John. He did. Why wouldn't he? I mean, I think yeah, I think maybe there was a scene where John like they walk out of a building and John is reacting to what he's just been told. But um that that would be significant because uh, you know, John and Sansa don't know this in the books, so it's another interesting uh change of direction that in another thing that maybe you're right, fans just want to see. They want to see the Stark family reunited and this is a step in the process that the books don't really offer. And there's another great example of uh, the show doing that kind of wish fulfillment uh, that we'll get to in a little bit. Oh, cool. Yeah, I definitely want to... I'm not sure... Oh, actually, I think I know what you're talking about, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, exactly. Um With Roos and... Uh, we have a cool scene here with Roos and Ramsey uh, where they're discussing what to do about Stannis' army. Uh, and I think it's a really good scene. I think it's interesting uh, to see... Well, first of all, I understand that Roos is like trying to give Ramsay something to do, but I don't know why he's so willing to listen to what Ramsay has to say. Because he makes this really compelling argument. He's like, listen, we got food, we are ready for a siege, all the walls are repaired, winter's coming, and we're completely fortified, There's, we can wait out a siege, everything is fine. And Ramsay's like, no, we need to hit him hard, give me 20 men and I can do it. Ever, you know, whatever it takes to, you know, defeat Stannis or whatever the hell he's going to do. And I'm just like, but why? Just why? Well, what does he have to lose? You know what I mean? 
If if Ramsey dies out there, then he's you know his wife is pregnant with another heir, and if he doesn't, then congratulations, he beats Tanner. Scenario about his son, but I think he does care about Ramsey to some degree. I don't know. It's just weird. I know what Ramsey's trying to do. I know what he's trying to get out of. He's trying to prove himself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I don't know why Bruce goes along with it. You know. Um, but I do think it's interesting to see their dynamic play out because they've been doing that a lot this season, trying to like build up the Boltons as more fleshed out characters, and it's it's interesting. Um, it's gonna make me. I'm gonna be so mad if Ramsey's if this like plan works at all because I am so sick of Ramsey have you know being this invincible uh, psychopath. <laughs> He's not invincible. Nobody just nobody's tried to kill him. It. No, this. I was about to say this. You remember the scene with Asha Greyjoy last season where she you know comes with the best fighters the Iron Islands have and Ramsey just like threatens to um, uncage some dogs. And she's oh, yeah. so terrified <laughs> of the dogs that she and all the other soldiers season three. run away. That was last. That was no, last it season. It wasn't last season. No, it was. What? No, the torture yeah, stuff. That was all sure. season three. No, but this isn't. This is after the torture stuff because she decides to go out and do it when they get the uh, the box with uh, with. Oh right. <laughs> with, with yeah, when that's delivered to to Pike. They get a new membership. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my god! I thought it was so bad. Wow! Especially because wow. they're—I I didn't see that coming. Especially, especially because they're, you know, they—they're like yeah, they the ships. ships. Yeah, that was Oof. terrible. Oh man, I, I don't know how I'm gonna <laughs> recover from that. <laughs> um, <laughs> in any case, uh, probably an easier time. You'll probably have an easier time than Theon did. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in any case, uh, we should be joking, but it's so hor- horrible. Uh, but anyway, so yeah. But yeah, I, I'm gonna be. Yeah, but I wouldn't call him invincible. I just don't think really anyone's taken any pot shots at him because he's because he was such an insignificant, you know, bastard son, and now he finally has a purpose. Now he'll become a target. Well, but it seems like every time, or like a like, status, he is. He, it seems like he always wins. Like you remember that scene last episode where Beyond uh, tries to go up the tower to light the candle, and he just happens to be there to foil <laughs> the plan. It seems like he has some sort of insane luck to foil the plan, though. I don't. No, what I'm saying, he's the way that he is being written. He is always given. No, you know, I think he's he's always no, given the win. J- just to clarify logistics, don't don't they cut to make it seem like Theon's going to the tower, but he's really going to wherever Ramsay is. He's not in the tower, sitting at the window where the candle is. I assumed it was just. Oh, I thought it was. But don't don't they show him? Don't they show him climbing that tower? I don't think. I think they show him. They show him looking up at the. They show him climbing a tower then, for sure. Yeah, but I think they're cutting around it, kind of like. Um, uh, Silence of the Lambs, you know, where they do that whole house thing where you think it's one house. Interesting. That's what I th- assumed it was. I didn't read that that way. I read it as when like... trying to get your hopes up the... that he's going to do the right thing and yeah. then... Ramsey just happened to be oh, there. Yeah, no, that was <laughs> insane. At least that's what I thought. Um, yeah, no, I thought they were trying to get your hopes up that the was going to do the right thing and then he crushes your hopes by being as loyal. Well, I thought, yeah, I thought it was getting his hopes up that Theon actually is trying to do the right thing, and of course, there's no beating him. Oh, right. no. Which is no, what he no. says to Sansa in this episode. Well, what he, he says that to Sansa in this episode, he says, there's no escape, you can't beat him, you can't Yeah, and in this episode, he confirms it by saying, yeah, I was trying to do you a favor. In other words, he never tried to do the candle, he went straight to Ramsay. That's what I thought he was doing. Oh, okay. The way, the way that I read it that fit in with mine is that um, he could have... Said and he, he chose to spill the beans. Oh, once he got on caught, what he, what he was right, there okay. for exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. I didn't think that was it. I think he just went straight to Ramsey. I think they added me. It, I think it comes to the same thing, probably. Well, but, no, because um, it's about it's still the growth way. of Theon, where Theon hasn't really grown at all. <laughs> uh, which further goes back to that episode a couple episodes ago, where um, we were worried. Well, you were worried about 
the big controversial scene being a thing for Theon, when in fact I don't think he's really changed at all. I don't think anything about him has changed, uh, except for that, except for maybe at this point, now that he's finally revealed this secret, we might see a change in him. But I think he's still pretty. Well, I was saying, I was just meaning that it's it, it comes to the same thing with regards to the way that the show writes Ramsay, in terms of his. Uh... The power that he holds in terms of dynamics and the luck that he has, and which is why I swear to God, if he wins again (laughs) and he somehow manages to destroy Stannis' entire army with 20 other soldiers and just himself, and presumably he's going to be holding two knives and not wearing a shirt like he was with Asha, and he'll bring some dogs in cages to threaten him. Uh, but if this, I don't think that's I, I what think he's it doing. Will be. I honestly think his big mission is going to be in go, to go and grab Shireen or something. I think that's probably what it is. Oh, you don't think he's going to assassinate Stannis? I think that makes more sense. I don't know. Because, I don't know. Yeah, what, what's the point of if you're there? If you're there, then why not just well, the, why not assassinate Stannis if you can get easier. into the camp? Getting Shireen, to Shireen's probably a lot easier than getting to Stannis. I would be surprised that Stannis is his daughter. Yeah. I'm sure he she has exactly the same security. I think if you're capable of sneaking into the camp and and kidnapping Shireen, then you're just as capable of sneaking into the camp and killing Stannis. All I'm saying, the only reason I'm saying kidnap is because uh, we've seen a kidnapping happen in the past when they kidnapped Jamie Lannister in that really awesome sequence in uh, season two. Wow, good thing in season two. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it was probably in season two where they do that whole diversion thing to to capture uh, Jamie. Um, with Rob and that whole thing. So I thought that was what they... I just assumed that's what they're doing. They're trying to grab a high-profile person to hold hostage to tell them to go away. Um, oh. well, what, but what he, does, doesn't he say something before he goes out? Like, you know, we don't need to strike with our whole army. Just give me uh, 20 men. Yeah. Like, I think that's the way but he puts it. And I think so the implication is... Number of things. But I think the implication there is that he's going to strike Stannis and not, you know, anything else. Well, I guess I, I don't know... And also, that's not where Shireen's story is really going, because her story has all been about Melisandre, with Melisandre threatening her up to Oh, I point. agree. Which it could, doesn't make much sense well, to have Ramsay like, intrude on that. Plot line. I don't know. I, I don't know. That would be, it would be bizarre to have all that, hap- you know, all that stuff earlier in the season happen with Melisandre, and then Shireen is, you Just know, that doesn't really go. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess we'll say, it's, we're, we're judging before we even see the, uh, the thing, though, so I guess we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I did like this, this back and forth. Um, so after Winterfell, uh, we get, okay, so this, I love this awesome stuff, uh, in Marine, which I never get to say. Um, so for the first time I actually cared about, because what have I been saying since the beginning of this, this season? Like Carrie needs to get there because these small council meetings and her stupid, like, you know, Daenerys stupid struggles to rule the kingdom or whatever are so infuriating without any council members who have, you know, two brain cells to rub together, and none of them did. Jorah was okay, but he wasn't even there this season. Uh, Barristan said one or two things of, of note, mostly nothing. Dar- uh, not Dario, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Dario Naharis doesn't really contribute anything except for kill people, which is not really helpful. And then his Dar is just, you know, reopen the pits. It's just nonsense. It's just like people with individual, very basic, boring motivations. No, like, movers and shakers. Uh, nobody like um, Varys, nobody like Tyrion, nobody like, you know, Littlefinger. And so I was like, Littlefinger, uh, Littlefinger, um, Tyrion, Tyrion has to show up because I need this to move forward. And as soon as he gets here, we immediately see the back and forth that people have been wanting to see for ages. 
and uh, immediately I cared about what Daenerys was doing in her in her life when Tyrion was there. He like gave purpose to everything that was going on, and in, in, I just loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, yeah, well, I I thought you were going to mention the fact that um, Tyrion says the exact opposite of what you've been arguing, which is why does she even why is she even staying in the city? What he says to her is why are you even thinking about going yes. to Westeros? Don't bother. Right. Except if they stayed and Tyrion was there to advise her, I'd be okay with it because I'm already loving it. It's like, yes, when there was no one else there, I didn't know why she was still doing that, and I still don't know if I buy his argument, but I, he thinks things out. I think it makes sense. I don't know why you would want to like get involved in all that political nonsense in King's Landing if you don't oh, have to. No, I just I don't know why you would stay in Marine per se. You know, there's a whole continent of Essos that you could go somewhere else. It's just a stupid city that's stupid. It's a waste of time and they all want to kill you and nobody likes you and the pits and all that stuff. Go somewhere else. You know, I'm not saying you have to go to Westeros per se. Um, it's just Marine sucks. You know, even, even uh, what was the other place they were with the whole where dragons are kidnapped. It was with a Q, right? Oh, Karth. Even Karth was more Karth, interesting. Yeah. I didn't love that season at all, but Karth was an interesting city. Well, but I, I also, like, I, I kind of see where she's coming from in terms of, you know, yes, yes, she's conquered the city and it's terrible, but if she leaves, then there's nothing stopping the system from just rebuilding itself exactly the way it was, and she, her whole, you know, reason for being there in the first place is to not let that happen. So I think she wants to stay at least long enough to uh, firmly establish the new uh, structure of society without slavery. And if she leaves now, then slavery is going to be reinstituted the next day because there's nothing stopping the it's masters just, from doing that. Here's the thing. That. It's just such a side note detour to what we were – so our impression for seasons on end was she's going to go back to Westeros. She needs to get a, She needs to get the – um, the Dothraki across the ocean, they won't go, but we're going to get boats and we're going to do it anyway. And we're going to go to Westeros and we're going to go to Westeros. And then all of a sudden her new mission is free everyone from slavery. Also, I want to go to Westeros, but also slavery. And I got to deal with that. And I don't know when that became a thing. She also wants to just, learn how to rule. So, yeah, but it just became like this, and it's total And you know what? It's probably good that she did stay because she's terrible at ruling, it turns well, out. Well, yeah, no, it's good for her to get some experience, but, you know, she picked a really big thing to try and change in a, in a place called Slaver's Bay, literally. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. But, um, so, okay, so, but let's just go through the scene really quick. So, uh, so what did you think of the, what did you think of the first scene? Um... With uh, Jorah and Tyrion and Daenerys. Um, I really like. Well, let me just say right off the bat that um, in the books it ends and Tyrion has still not reached Daenerys, right, right, right. even though he so spends the only... entire book trying to get there. So yeah, this was that nice payoff I was talking about. It's like finally, uh, this is the scene that I've been waiting to see for however many years. Uh, because the book doesn't get to it. Because it, this is this is a little fun. In fact, uh, George R. R. Martin's editor cut the last two hundred pages out of that book because it was too long. <laughs> Saved him for the next oh, book, gosh. and it ends like about to start the climax of every story. Wow, that's frust- that's very frustrating. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah. But it, it was really nice. This is exactly the way that I wanted Tyrion and Daenerys's uh, dynamic to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's you know it, it's it's perfect, and I love the. the Every uh, every exchange that they have goes exactly the way that it yeah, should. Yeah, no, I completely and agree. A great example of that is when he says, uh, oh, what does he say? He's like, um, she says, why should I trust you? You're a Lannister. And he says, well, you know, I killed my mother and I killed my father. I 
killed more Lannisters than anyone else. And she says, so why should I trust you if you kill right, your family? Right, exactly. That's exactly, you know, obviously that's something that Tyrion would say, but that's exactly what Daenerys would say in turn. It's, it's so, it's they really yeah. get the characters and it's and the way that these characters would interact if you put them well, together. Daenerys has always been most interesting when she has other cool people to play off of, you know, like cool it, it's all about interactions, right? Almost no character is interesting on their own or no matter what situation you put them in. I'd argue Tyrion happens to be one of those characters, but in general a lot of characters in any show or narrative tend to be better better in unless if they're like singular, they tend to be better like or they're quality of the characters often based on how they interact with people because that's what makes humans human it's their interactions so like you know Daenerys who's she been able to interact with for the past three seasons you know Jorah a little bit you know um uh what's his face Dario Naharis who's not an interesting character and so that's not helpful you know, he's, there's nothing to build her up. She's not learning anything she's not gaining anything she's not growing at all and she doesn't get to have any banter she doesn't get to like have some battle of wits. She doesn't get to do anything. She, uh, weirdly, Viserys was a great counterpoint for her. It made her really interesting and gave her like a lot of uh, room to grow. And like, there's that great scene where she hits him and says, "You know, you won't speak to the queen like that, or to the Khaleesi, or whatever." Uh, you know, those were great moments, but they happened in concert with someone else. You know, Daenerys on her own is not that interesting, unfortunately. Um, and so finally we have this scene and suddenly like Daenerys becomes an interesting character again. Like it's like a light switch. Uh, so I totally agree. Uh, I also really liked how they handled Jorah uh, and what to do with him. I thought that was really uh, well done. I liked Tyrion sort of. Yeah. I, I didn't know how they were going to get either. around. Uh, Cause obviously as soon as he steps foot in the, in the pyramid, she's going to have him executed because that's what did, she said she would do. And do, that's, you know, like we saw earlier this season, Daenerys, is all about justice, and when like when she killed that uh, slave who killed the son, the right, son of the right, harpy, right. it seems like, in a weird way, that's what they were setting up to happen, and it makes sense that that's what she would do. But I like that Tyrion; he doesn't talk her down, but he makes a coherent argument uh, that she shouldn't do. You that. know what Tyrion's like, and why it feels so satisfying to hear him make these arguments, and these like he's like the witty character or the intelligent character. But he's the intelligent character because what he does, I, this is my, I'm just supposing, but I, it's almost like he goes through all the ideas they threw around in the writing room and go, okay, well, what about this could happen? Well, that can't happen because this can't happen because, well, what about this? And he, they just put that in dialogue form. So he goes through all the reasons why you would or you wouldn't kill him and then comes out to whatever the conclusion is that the writers came to. And so that's what they decide they, he's going to come to at the end of his little monologue. And then you're satisfied as a viewer because you're like, oh, I just heard an entire debate in the form of a one character, and now I'm satisfied. <laughs> so whatever he decides makes sense. Um, so that's what it almost felt like. They were like, you know, in the, they were probably in the writing room. They're like, well, what are we going to do with Jorah? Are we going to kill him or are we going to not? Well, you know, I don't know if it would be a good idea. Well, you know, Tyrion might say this, that, and the other thing. And then that's exactly what happens. Um and I, I, and I agree, you know, he goes through all these points and totally makes it compelling. He's like, well, you shouldn't kill some of the people who are loyal to you because what's that's not going to inspire more, more loyalty. Uh, at the same time, you can't let him back into the city because then you're not following your own rules. So banish him? And she's like, yeah. All right. I think it was, I think it was very, very well done. Rather inspired. Yeah. Um, I also really liked the scene uh, with them after this, oh, where they're just chatting. So uh, that was a great scene, and uh, man, there's a lot actually. To, there's a lot to uh, to unwrap mm. 
to unpackage with with that with with their conversation there and i i think primarily is uh, what they're discussing more than anything is the their fathers mm-hmm. and Tyrion. Ever, since he killed tywin Tyrion is you could argue everything he's done has been uh influenced by that decision and not just because obviously he had to get on the boat because he did it but his entire character has uh, shifted because of this thing he did, and, and killing Shay too, but that was tied to Tywin for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we get this, that, and the same thing has been happening with Daenerys this season too, ever since she found out about uh, the truth about her father. So it's cool to see those two, uh, those two character arcs this season come to a head uh, in conversation with each other, and and the show kind of draws parallels between them that I that makes sense now in retrospect. I didn't think that it's would cool. be their and, bonding point. Yeah. But I think what's, what's yeah, important that it's not just like, you know, they could be a very easy, like, oh, we both are kind of like, actually, he has the same exact thing with Jorah, except he didn't, you know, Jorah's father wasn't evil or anything, but they, they bond over the father thing too. Like Tyrion's clearly working through something uh, right now. Um, you know, it was a traumatic event, even if his father kind of hated his guts and et cetera. Um, but I think what's cooler than that is that there's more that, that's going on, right? They're, they have this whole, you know, she's deciding if she's going to keep him around. And it's clear that she's thinking that he has something to offer, especially with how he handles Jorah. But she's not. She's sort of cautious. She doesn't know. Um, and he's just so honest and he just doesn't care. And I love that. I love the moment when he says, uh, you know, coming to see you was like the only thing that gave my life meaning. So if you kill me, then, you know. It was an interesting life, <laughs> or it was an interesting last few days, or whatever he says. I thought that was a great line. Um, but she's like, she's almost charmed and and um, intrigued by his reasoning and the way yeah. he talks. I just thought it was there. It's so almost subtle. I think uh, that's really yeah. I think that's um what when you're saying like in conversation with Tyrion, Daenerys becomes more interesting. I think the reason for that is that she has in a way, been surrounded by sycophants for a couple yeah. seasons. You know, they've been people who, you know, she's the queen and we have to, you know, pay her ultimate respect. And that's fine. Uh, but I agree, it can get a little dull, you know, which is why, actually, I like Dario the best of all her advisors because he is the closest person uh, to Tyrion in that respect in terms of just talking to her like a person and not a queen. But he doesn't but, do it. But not, offer, not offering good advice. I'll give you, I'll give you that. His advice doesn't make any sense, and it's the same thing over and over. But at least he is addressing, allowing her to uh, talk in a way that's not just. I just don't uh, think any of her advisors offer anything. None of them have anything of value to add. No, I'm not saying he has something to offer as an advisor. I'm just saying in conversation. Also, even if they were, you know, subservient and like, oh, you're the greatest, but they had some value, like they had some skill set that was valuable. They don't. None of them, you know. His star is a rich. That's his skill. He's rich. Okay. He's on the council. He's on the council to speak for the other rich yeah. people. He doesn't actually have anything exactly, to Exactly, but that's not like a thing to offer. Exactly. And then, you know, Barristan is a guard. He's not an advisor. Why is he? Why was he ever giving advice on anything? It's not useful. Or, you know, even Jorah was the closest he ever had, she ever had to, like, someone who gave actual advice to her. Um, and then Jario Naharis, what, what the hell is his qualification? He's a mercenary. <laughs> these people are useless. Um, you know, so when Tyrion shows up, it's just it's such a breath of fresh air. Oh my gosh. And 
And I think, but I think more than just the advice he gives her, it's the way that the he way gives he does the it, advice yes. is in a very and it's not... is in a very friendly tone and in a very like just like I said, the way he addresses her frank. is not it's not disrespectful, but it's it frank. is at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's frank. And he's like, yeah, look, this is what you got to do, and I'm not going to beat around right. the bush. Which allow which and she's also able to come out of her shell because of that. Because when people were treating her in a certain way. She had to respond in kind, and I think that's why she came across as pretty as boring in a lot of those interactions. But when she's confronted with Tyrion, who doesn't treat her that way, she's able to be a more open and frank right. person herself. Well, we don't and have that's her. Why that, those conversations. We don't have her great. sitting with her back perfectly straight, with her hands on her lap, going, "I don't think this is a good idea," or "I'm not going to open the pits again." You know, that's not what's going on. It's a completely different version of Daenerys. It's Daenerys from many seasons ago that we haven't been able to see. Um, even to the point where I forgave that scene to some degree, or that that line that we saw in the trailer that where I was like really worried because it seemed like she was really overacting. Uh, where she talks about the wheel and how she's going to break the wheel. Oh, uh, that was a, I really liked that it, line in this context, in context. But in the trailer, I was like, oh, she's irritating me so. Because yeah, all much. she said in the all she said in the trailer was the last part, and out of context, it made it, no well, sense. Just, well, I mean, and you. Yeah, I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to well, break the wheel. Well, it just sounded so well, open and like ridiculous. But in the, in context, it works, and it's cool because it's like she came out of her shell. It's like this is who she really is. You know, it's not that she's not a queen, but she's not a queen the way, you know, even Cersei's a queen. She's just a completely different kind of person. Uh, she's much more hands on and down on the ground and that kind of thing. And she hasn't been able to do that. Um, so yeah, I thought this was great. Um, Oh, um, just one more quick thing I want to mention. When Speaking of the wheel, uh, Tyrion has some interesting things to say, like we said, about not going to Westeros. And he says, look, the Starks are gone. The Lannisters are never going to back oh, you. Oh, yeah, this was all great. Uh, and, you know, may, maybe the Tyrells, but, like, it's it's not super likely. And that likely. won't be enough. Uh, yeah. Does he name another family? Uh, he never mentions the Greyjoys. I don't think. Oh, well, I was going to say, well, the, the Greyjoys are oh, he not says in a great position you. right now. That's right, he said Stannis, but he never mentions the Martells. He says nothing about the Martells who seem to have a... But the Martells know. aren't in Westeros. Yeah, they, they are. are. Yeah, Dorne's... Dorne's yeah. part of Westeros? It's just... Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just <laughs> at the southern end of Westeros? It's a, Yeah, it's at the very southern end, like, so it's influenced more by es- Essos culture, but it is... I part, just or, assumed or maybe it was like around, an island or something that wasn't really related. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's at the very bottom tip of Westeros. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's a bit different. They never talk about them, <laughs> for the most part. I guess they do say we go to Dorne every now and again, but I just assume they, like, went across the sea to Dorne. They're, they, yeah, they're they only relevant when once Oberyn shows up, really. No, but in the very they, first season, Tyrion mentions Dornish girls, so I remember that. Yeah, but it's, it's you know, it's, it is tossed offhand, like, he might as well be talking about any other random... He might as well have just made up a word and it's right, just right. supposed but to flesh out the world. He doesn't, That's the he doesn't say Bravosi. But, you know, and maybe when they sent Marcella there, it became... But we didn't see anything at Dorne. We just knew that she was going there. Uh, but not well, until Oberyn a, shows up, Dorne is not even really a place. Well, here's what it is. We saw her... I think this is probably why I thought it was in Essos. We see her leaving a boat, right? And yeah. so I assume because she's on a boat, she must be going across the sea. That makes sense. That stands to reason, right? And also, every time we... Or what we know of Dorne, it looks very summary like Essos tends to be. So I just assumed. But, okay. Yeah, the Martells. There you go. That could be interesting. Because uh, that would give them a purpose, because I don't know what their 
purpose really is. They it? hate they hate the Lannisters who are in power right now. They might have uh, reason to to back Daenerys if she if she asks them. Right. Well, it depends, I guess, what they. I don't know what their feelings are on any of that. We don't really know what's going on with them because, again, we've only had two scenes with Doran. He's just been oh, sitting on the balcony. And the other thing is their accents, which we don't get anywhere in Westeros except for in Doran. So that was another reason I assume they were from somewhere else. Nobody, no other characters have accents. I mean, they have like Scottish, whatever. But the, all the like, they sound almost like Spanish, right? Sort of. Yeah, they're they're supposed. It's supposed to be Spain. Although apparently. Um, I can't distinguish this, certainly, but apparently the North is supposed to have a different uh, regional dialect of English accent than, than oh, the South. Oh, they do. It's supposed to be they like They do. A, no, it's, I, it's, what, um, it's what Ned – it's because of Sean Bean. Sean Bean has a very distinct yeah. accent. I forget what it's called. So there is some precedent for yeah, that. Yeah, there, but it's um, all variations on, like, the UK, whereas Italy, Spain, that kind of thing, I assumed was all Essos-related stuff. So I just – I don't know. I just didn't connect it. Um. But in any case, because, I mean, the one other character with a crazy accent we had met before Oberyn, really, was, um, was, uh, what's his face? Who had the crazy accent? Uh. I know you're not thinking of Littlefinger, but that's no, all not I can little think of. What? No, not Littlefinger. He's the least consistent accent on the show. Yeah. Well, because he's Irish, and he just, I, he's never been good at accents. <laughs> I, you know, he irritated me. At the... It changes, like. It changes every season, I swear to God. Uh, yeah, it really does. Oh, Serio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Serio. Oh, yeah. And, he, you know, he's yeah, right, Bravos. Right, and he's from Bravos. So I was like, okay, if Bravos is like Italy, then I assume Dorne was like Spain, and I just assumed they were near each other because that's in real life. That's what is. Uh, they are They are kind of near um, each other. but Well, it's Europe versus the UK. I assume like Westeros was like the UK. You know, I, I don't know. Um, again, loosely. And it's only the way they've really depicted it in the show. So I don't know. You know, I, like, who knows? Um, but this is all tangential. Um, so yes, yeah, so we get a lot of stuff. What's cool about this, the one last thing I'll say about the Tyrion and Daenerys scene is that they're putting everything in perspective because you're probably like, well, I'd love to know why Daenerys hasn't gone to Westeros or what the situation is or what she would meet when she gets there and what's a realistic expectation. And it's sort of like a very meta. They're like, this is the way each house will respond if you try and contact them. And Tyrion just goes through the list, and it was just very satisfying as a viewer to be like, ah, oh, this is so nice to know. This is like a list of things I can now know about how this all might play out. He also breaks the bad news to her that, you know, she learned about the Mad King for the first time this season, but she was still under the impression that the common people were all secretly supporting oh, yeah. her. And Tyrion has to break the bad news that the common people really She's don't like, care. Let's be generous. It doesn't make a difference to them. <laughs> and yeah. say that, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're just not... Um... They just don't care. Like the 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 mistake is that the common people have any allegiance to anyone. I don't think they care at all. Uh, they just want to be left alone and you know serve the least jerky ruler. That's about it. Um, but yes, so that's all a side point. I did. Uh, I but I did. I I think this exchange is great. I can't wait to see more of them together. Uh, we're going to talk about Hard Home, but next episode is called The Dance of Dragons. So I'm assuming we're going to get a little bit more. Which is which is almost the almost. title of uh, book five, which is a dance with dragons. a dance with dragons. But yes, the dance of dragons. So it's but close. Oh, and we didn't talk about um, just real real quick. Uh, Jora, after he's banished, he goes back to the the slaver and he's like, "I want to." Oh fight. yeah, yeah, yeah. He... Yeah, that was weird. Oh my god. I don't well, know he's like he's Jorah. like I want to see you know he's like I want to fight for my queen for the queen again. Why? He just banished you. What? What are you doing? 
He already tried that last yeah. episode. He already it tried the thing weird. where he won very... the fight and then he took off it the helmet. It almost seemed like it was in the wrong order. <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> he's going to try this again, but what? to what effect? Is it... Unless he's going to try and kill her. That's his goal. I don't know. Or is he going to try and infect her so that they're both stuck with Grayscale? Not that he'll succeed, of course. I don't think anything's going to happen to This Marin. has to be for some other purpose. This has to be like, they're just engineering a way for Jorah to be around when something happens so that uh, whatever happens with the Marine plot at the end of, within these last two episodes, they need to figure out a way for Jorah to be there because he's a main character, or they just want him to be there. Maybe. So they can't just have him be banished. I could, it's just that it's the only thing I can see him doing is, you know, trying to like force his way into her life by like making them both have grayscale of course i don't think he'll be able to do that i just think that might be his plan because otherwise i don't know what his plan is makes no sense um but anyway (laughs) that's that's a whole other can of uh, kettle of fish um but yeah i am looking forward to that and again next uh, episode dance the dance of dragons i think we're gonna get more marine i assume uh, or at least we'll get more dragon related stuff maybe the dragons will show up in westeros or you know or drogon will show up in westeros or that would be great. Well, there was that vision last season of the dragon flying over King's mm-hmm. Landing. That could be cool. Maybe that'll pay off. Yes, it could. Um, although I feel like we're not going to get a lot of that those visions coming true until Bran is able to react to them coming true and go, oh, my visions are real. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, so, hard home. First things. Hard first home. things first, I want to say this up front. Kit Harrington killed it this episode. Like, Killed it. I was so psyched because I mostly just don't really care for him as an actor. Seems like a perfectly nice guy, uh, but I just don't care for him as an actor. He's he's always fine, but he drops his voice, gets a little bit more gravelly, and so he has to monologue. He has to convince people. He has to have conversations. He has to be convincing to both the people on in the show and also the people watching the show, and he just nails it. I don't know about you. I just thought he did a killer job killer job this this episode yeah i i i I didn't think he did any uh uh, noticeably better than usual but i like speech of the tent wasn't astronomically more like intense and interesting than things he's had to do in the past like he's been he's been better this season than he has in the past but he hasn't had anything sounds exactly like it sounds exactly like his identical speech to the night's watch a few episodes back Oh, no, I thought it was way more. I mean, it, it seemed appropriate for the Wildlings. It was more, like, primal. and I, He just sold me. Like, he sold me as an actor and sold me, like, in the context of the show. It was like, if I was a wildling listening, wildling listening to that, I would totally buy that. I loved loved all their interactions. I, I just thought it was, I don't know, I thought it was, it was spot on. Um, I, th- I think he's been really solid uh, all season. Well, we can agree that he did well this, this episode then, regardless. I think he did. Yeah. Better than what he's he's done in the past. Um, again, not that he's been bad. He hasn't been bad. I just don't. I just never really cared about his his acting. And I I was as I was watching him. I was I was first time. I was really excited about him uh, as an actor. Um, also, I think uh, uh, Christopher Hivu. I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, Christopher Hivu as as Tormund also did a great job. Uh, he's really just an interest. He's not only interesting looking, which is probably part of, partially why he was cast. But he like he's he delivers lines well, and I think he's he's just very. He has a really interesting voice. He's I got think. an interesting voice, and his face is so interesting when he delivers those lines that it's just like mesmerizing to watch. Um, and I just love when they first get to Hard Home, 
and his first interaction with the Lord of Bones is just phenomenal. Um, <laughs> that was amazing. I did not, I didn't expect that at all, and I don't, you know, the Lord of Bones, I, I think, does other stuff in the books, so I was surprised to see him show up again because I don't think they're going to have time to do anything, any of that. It's so minor. Uh, but I also didn't think they were just going to kill him right then well, and there. The last time we saw him was a couple of seasons ago. Like, we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, we haven't seen him since John was with the Wild Ones, And I'm like, I think. oh, right, the Lord of Bones. Oh, he's dead. And Tormund's like, I just want to talk. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, we've seen versions of that in other things in the past, of course. But uh, I think Firefly actually probably is a good example of that. I think Firefly... Oh, you're talking about when Mal kicks the guy into the end? Yeah, like, very similar to that. Yeah, very similar. But I thought it worked well here. Um, and I like that John only like, I like, but see, this is what Kit Harrington did some really cool stuff. Like in this scene, you could see he wanted to maybe interfere or, you know, whatever. And you see his slight mannerisms where there's his personal way of dealing with things versus the way Tormund deals with things. And, uh, and you can almost see his body language. Like he's like, oh, I, you know, I want to get involved, but I'm just going to let it go because I trust Tormund to get this done. Um, yeah, I think that was cool. I also like their their relationship where like they don't really well, I don't know that John doesn't like uh Tormund, but Tormund hates Jon Snow. Um but their relationship is so interesting. Uh So yeah, so I thought this was all great. And then we have this tent meeting with all the elders, uh who aren't actually that old, but they're all the leaders of the um the free folk uh where he has to give his big motivational speech and convince them. How much did you love? Uh, how much did you love this woman named Carsey? She was great. I will say I was a little irritated. Uh, I want to get into gender representation real quick. That the big thing for her was like kids. It was like it kind of irritating to me. I was like, okay, so you have one cool, awesome female leader of the free folk. Apparently, there's only one. Uh, and this is it's this egalitarian society. All this other stuff that they seem to be emphasizing, and yet. The thing that they focus on her, you know, uh, is her getting her kids into the boat. And then the way she dies is because there's kids attacking her and she just can't bring herself to kill a kid. Even if. Oh, I, I thought it was that. I, was just, I don't. I thought it was just that she was so horrified that there were oh, no, you know, zombie no, kids no, no, standing no, in front no, of no. her. I didn't. No, no, no. I didn't read it like that at all. No, well, you're wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I actually do think you're wrong because I think it's very clear that they're trying to. She's the mother and she can't bring herself. And it's like, it's I was just ugh, it irritated me. But she has this look of horror on her face, not this look of like. Uh, no, she sees the kids and she's she like, oh conflict. my God, this is, like, this is it. And I can't bring myself to do it because she just sort of stands there and lets them hit her. You know, she's not like she's cowering. And oh, but there's also out. like tw- 15 of them standing in front of her. It's not she cannot take them all on. No, that's not true. She, she's there were hundreds, you know, hundreds of whites that she was happily knocking out. The difference isn't one on one. Well, yeah, I mean, it, but the, the idea here is that, like, I think it's very clear that the changed variable is that they're now kids, and the kids are what does her in. And they have that whole scene where she's getting her kids into the boat, and she, you know, mommy, you know, it's okay, I'll be right after you, and that's what she's focused on. And like, I don't know. I have no problem with that. I want to say right now, I don't now, have a problem have with it. As, zero problem I don't with it. Again, it's all about representation, right? We're, it's not that you have, there's a problem with a mom being a mom. Mom being a mom is great. I love my mom, and she's great at it. But I'm saying that when that's the only character, the only female character in this entire sequence, and her only identifiable trait, aside from going all going along with Tormund, is that she has kids and can't bring herself to kill kids because she's a mother. 
It's a little. Limited. I think you're no, no, no. I, I think she is a fully established personality before they even. She's you know, tough. Bring up the fact that no. she's that she's no. a mother, and I like, and I, I have no problem with the fact that she can be this. Uh, uh, but it's her identifying awesome trait, lady, and then and it's she's what a mother. Her. <laughs> That's what irritated me about it. I, I mean, I, I read it as more uh, an ironic thing that in term with the connection with the kids, yeah. but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not read it as she can, she cannot. She's so you know she can't bring herself to harm kids. That's what I thought it was. I didn't read it that. I didn't read it that way at all. Because it's not like she. I mean, I don't know. It, I think it would be. A, she would have been. She would have. The actress would have done. Uh, I think that would have been anyone's reaction. Is you know you're fighting all these zombies and then all of a sudden there's fifteen zo- murdered zombified children standing in front of you. It, I would believe. So you're going to be a, completely believe that and be willing to go along with it if we didn't also have a very deliberate scene showing her with her own kids just before that. I mean, well, I think that was just the the death sentence thing that you have to do with this character is like, all right, we're going to make you, you know, she could have died in any way after that, but you know, when that happens, she's going to die because she just said, all, you know, don't worry, of kids, course, I'll be right yeah, back. Of course. of course she was going to die. I was just like, okay, I was, I was, I was really sad about it. I'm sad she had to go because, and I was like, all right, well, we'll see how she dies because she's going to die. And then it was like, oh, of course she dies because she can't bring herself to freaking fight a bunch of kids. She doesn't even try. I mean, that's not wildling behavior. No, no, no. Well, okay. Let me posit this to you. If you in that situ- were in that situation, do you think it's possible that for the briefest of moments, you might be so shocked that you can't, like, you it's, can't move? It's not that. It's the, uh, what's the effect, right? What's the, um, it's that famous film thing, right, where you show one scene, and then you show you uh, whatever the next scene is, you know, uh, and you cut them together, it gives different meaning to the previous scene. That's what it is. Oh, the, um, oh, what's like that? like the oh. or something. Kuleshov, yeah, the Kuleshov effect. That's what it is, and that's what it was. You know, it's not as, it's not as um, simplistic as that, but it's the idea of, you know, there's meaning to, there's a reason that scene was followed by this scene, and that's what it was. Well, I, but, but I, that's also not the reaction that I had, and I don't think you have, you know, I don't think that's the only way that you can read that scene. I, I know, and I feel like I'm nitpicking, but I just this is it was very obvious to me that that was what they were doing there. Which is like I don't know. To me, it bothered. I, me. I'm 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 much more bothered by the fact that she died at all because I think she was a really cool character and I liked uh, what she brought to this the big conversation scene because that's the first time we've gotten that perspective from you know we well I guess Tormund and obviously John, but this is the first time we've gotten someone just a normal person on either the Night's Watch or the Wildling side who's like yeah you know what fine I don't want to die. <laughs> I'll go along with this plan. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Well, she does, but she also talks about her family dying or something, right? This is I think she's the one who has the lines that mirror what Ollie said. Yeah, but she said, you know, my this this person in my family died to the crows and this person and this person. But then she is will she also says, but I uh, you know, you know, what she has that line about her ancestors. She's like, someone says, like, we're, we'll dishonor oh, yeah, our that, ancestors. That was great. Like, I don't yeah. care. They're dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was really liking her. I just was like, oh, well, now she's going to be, like, I don't know. I just, it crumbled. It cr- her characterization for me crumbled a little bit towards the end. So that kind of I got, me. I got, I don't know about you. I got strong Titanic vibes from this whole sequence and her saying goodbye to her kids by putting them on the life, oh, the lifeboat was a major part what of that. I was immediate, I immediately thought of was the scene in Lord of the Rings, the two towers, when Saruman's army is orcs are like running through the village and the mom is like, Go, go with your go with your brother or whatever and then she sends him off on a horse. <laughs> I was reminded of that with Ollie. 
with Ollie last season. Oh, really? Oh, yes. That was also very similar. Yeah, same. Except in this case, we actually have... Well, I guess, yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, they're both very similar. Uh, so that's that's what I thought of, uh, again, because that's my go-to default <laughs> fantasy reference. <laughs> I, I thought of Titanic because of that, because I'm pretty sure... I'm almost certain that exact exchange happens and yeah and it's it's really cold and just the just the uh setup of there's so many people in this contained space and there's this imminent threat and you cannot get them all on the boats fast enough right and so that was very titanic yes i think think that was part of i think that was that was also really cool i like the sense of um the threat by the way can i well so let's leave all that aside some minor complaint i had about this one particular thing it just happened to bother me but Overall, this is what I wanted to say Watchers on the Wall to be. Or and this was a this was better than I think any of the battles really in in Oh it was it extraordinary. Was so, so so good. So much happened. You didn't need to make an entire episode devoted to it. They didn't make an episode called Hard Home where the entire and I'm sure they considered it. I am positive they considered it. And they didn't. And I was just so thankful that this was like they got exactly what they needed out of it. We learned things by action without people talking. We got uh, all the action meant something. It was valuable to the scene. It was fast-paced. We got to follow the characters we cared about and who, even the ones we just met. Um, and then the ones, you know, of course, that we care about, like John and the rest of them. We got to learn about the White Walkers. We got to see, you know, the, the, the results of people's decisions immediately unfold. Uh, and in the space of like twenty minutes, as you said, why? What's so hard about that? <laughs> well, I think more. I think more than anything else, what's notable about this scene is that the filmmaking. You is can see what's going on. Just, well, just overall, it's leaps and bounds ahead of any other battle sequence on the show. Yes, you can see what's going on because it's in the daytime. Right. You know, a plus uh, for for setting it there. <laughs> but you know, I think if do you remember the the big. Uh, long take in Watchers on the Wall that went all around Castle Black. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was terrible. It was really showy. It was I really you obviously, it. you know... Or did I like it? Did I Did I like it? I might have, maybe, if I liked it back then, I, I had changed, your mind. changed my opinion on it. Well, but, the, what we um, said I, I is like that it's it really showy. It's... combine the upper wall with the lower wall to give it a sense of continuity. I do remember saying that, and I that's true, and I do I do like that it did that, but as a, it, as a single take, and I'm going to compare it to the one in this sequence in a minute... But as a single take, it was very obviously stitched together. It was very, you know, we're you know floating from moment to moment, and it's the only reason. There's no reason that uh, this should be a single take because all you're doing is essentially editing a bunch of different shots together, but you're not cutting. Whereas the single take here, first of all, I love the uh, very slight. It's very clearly shot handheld, but it's not like super shaky and super. Uh, it doesn't look very crisp and, and, and digital, which handheld shots sometimes can. And it's following John and he, from the side as he's running through this battle, and he kind of keeps encountering things and had dod, you know, ducking and weaving. And the white comes up and he chops it in half and keeps as he's running. And then it uh, he runs out of the frame as the camera stops, and then the giant bursts out of the cabin. Oh, it's just a yeah. it's a perfectly perfectly executed I can even register this long as, a, take. as a long take but yeah you're right uh and that's i think what a good long take probably should do is that you don't don't immediately register right well i think that one of the best examples of that is the one in children of men you don't notice until you're like halfway through yeah. like, oh this was totally very children yeah of yeah, men. yeah god by the way if anyone's listening to this i don't know i just feel like saying this you haven't seen children of men 
one of the best movies. Just go go, go watch, watch it. It's amazing. Go watch it. Anyway, <laughs> um, and keep an eye out for that one take because uh, it's awesome. Even though they again they stitch things digitally together there, and yet it still it works. It's very good. Um, and this one also wasn't distractingly long. It was just like it was exactly as long as it needed to be. It wasn't doing it to like oh you know look how. Uh, many things we can have happen in this single shot. It's just following John, uh, it, you know, single focus. It's like, I think you could call it a tracking shot. Well, it's single focus, that that it, but it also changes pers- like on what it's focused on as it goes. Well, exactly. It's the camera isn't being used to change what it's focusing on. Things are, it's the camera is on and following John and if things are going in and out of frame as he moves, and he is motivating the movement of the camera, and the camera movement, whereas in the thing in what with Watchers on the Wall, the camera is just motivating its own movement, and it feels very, you know, fake and obvious, and like, look how, you know, long a take we can do. Whereas here, there's a very clear motivation for the camera would, to move, and things are just happening. I would say it's about half and half in, in Daredevil in that one scene. Um, it's, it's, in some ways, yes, it's moving on its own. In other ways, it does sort of make sense with the kineticism of the, of the scene. Well, yeah, I remember. I'm trying to. Remember, I think it just kind of moves back just, and forth down just, the hallway and things. Yeah, they, they go in and out of the yep, rooms, yep, right? Right, but it, so in in some ways, you're like, oh, this is on a rail. At the same time, it does follow the progression from you know they show you this is point A and that's point D, and we have to get from point A to point D, and then um, now we're gonna go there very slowly as Daredevil tries to progress down the hallway. Um, so it's sort of a mix of these two different scenes. So it's it's uh, two different approaches. But uh, yeah, no, I agree. So I I think this was this cool. I didn't even. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch this moment now. Um, oh, and this, this just the structure of the whole sequence in in terms of filmmaking as well. I the way that. By the uh, way, I think we get yeah. a lot of these in Spartacus. <laughs> I'm gonna. Ha- I swear to God, I'm gonna watch the show someday. I, promise. I keep saying it until you I mean, actually say that. And I'll have so, I'll have something to contribute every time you bring it up. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, every time I bring it up, you can be like, "Oh, Spartacus again." That show is so terrible. I can't believe you've been bringing it up for you know two seasons worth of podcasts because it's just the worst show, and I can't believe that's it. why I've been that's why I've been putting it off is because I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it. How great would it be though if you happen to hate it so that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it could just be this recurring thing, this this thorn in your side. Uh, but anyway, um, but yeah, the way that the, the way that the sequence starts is obviously that, um, there's this, uh, gate and all, you know, all of these wildlings, there are tons of them all over the beach and there's this gate and this, you know, uh, wall of like snow or mist or something starts to come in and that's signaling the arrival of the white walkers, which is interesting because I don't remember if that's a thing they've established about the white walkers before is that they bring this, you know, cold, uh, inclement weather with them but that's really cool that's really oh, eerie i love what i loved about this scene by the way the music in this episode was really cool it's all variations on yeah, themes, the music was awesome but it was really good but I, what i really liked in the audio in this scene was so good or this moment where um they're all like banging at the door and then it just goes quiet and then it, it oh, was that so, so good. i was hoping i was like i was like oh it's gonna they're gonna go quiet and then it went quiet i was like yes um, and then he and then he looks. He puts his eye up to the one yep. peephole. Yeah, classic. Yep. Just it classic. was it was very very good. Um, yeah, he's a fen, right? He's the one who doesn't want to, you know. Yeah. Play by the rules. Um, yeah. So this was all really cool. And the other thing I really liked in this scene. So there was only one giant in this entire sequence, and had more to do and more interesting things to do than any of the giants in Watches on the Wall. Yeah, this giant has a name. His name is One One, as yeah. as um, 
as Tormund calls him, which is funny because uh, I one 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 is a one one is a giant character in the books. Uh, a big character. Or a I giant really because they no yeah no he's a the species oh, okay. giant, <laughs> um, but a minor character. Um, but he, uh, I they could have very easily made this giant just a random giant, but I like that they uh, made it actually a giant that's a character mm. in the books and not because I, I think it would have meant the same thing it was just some random uh, you know whoever um, but here's a just just fun trivia um, the character's name one one is intended as a reference to um, oh god what team is it George R. R. Martin is a big fan of I think it's the oh god the Giants New York yeah the New York Giants the Giants right and yeah no, yeah, it is. It is the New York Giants because this is obviously mm-hmm. this is the character, duh. Um, and one one is supposed to be. There's a. Um, I don't follow. I don't follow the Giants or really uh, the NFL <laughs> at all. But uh, there's a player on the Giants while he was writing the fifth book whose jersey was eleven. You oh, know, so was one okay. one. And um, there was a thing where he had a bet with his friend where uh, if he, George R. R. Martin won the bet, he had to uh, like kill off the friend in some way in the books. Uh, so there's he wrote in a reference to and it was based on this the um, the outcome of their competing football mm-hmm. teams. So he wrote a reference to this giant named One One, uh, killing uh, like ripping in half a knight whose shield had the uh, Cowboys logo right, on. Yes, it, no, I remember that. The other I, team. I've read that passage. It's actually one of the reasons I like the thing. I, one of the things I point to when I go, I'm not going to read those books. <laughs> Cause it's just, I just, it's so American. It's so unbearably American. Um, it's actually, and it is also not the only sly reference to the New York Giants in the book. And I totally get, like, he's, and if people like that or whatever, that's totally fine. But, you know, for me, the two things that, like, for example, J.R.R. Tolkien would incorporate in his, in his books was were historical references that nobody understood because they made no sense and were, like, incredibly um, esoteric. Or... Uh, it was references to like his experiences in war in World War One, you know, like that. And to me, those were like noble things worth putting in books. But like the giants, I don't know. I just don't care. Um, but anyway, that's that's all. Aside. But but I, that's cool. I didn't realize that that first of all that he I didn't miss the name, and I do I do think it's kind of cool that he named him the the one one was just a reference. I guess some football player. Um, by the way, this, this giants just like you can't bring him down. You know, I was like really worried they were gonna have a big death scene, and he just. How did that giant get into the cabin? Uh, magic. Because then he couldn't get <laughs> because... out of it. Yeah, he bursts out of it because he's so big and he's like hunched over the whole time he's in there. But they don't, did they build the cabin around him? Maybe? <laughs> he's just been living there his whole life. <laughs> um, I don't know. But I do like the fact that like nobody can get, like, it's just, he's like, people are attacking him and I just assumed he was going to die. And then like he gets in the water, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna nope, just walks to the boats. I guess he's gonna walk all the way to Castle Black. Yeah, I couldn't tell unless he can unless he can fit on one of the ships. Yeah, maybe. But I just he just he was completely unperturbed by the fact that there were White Walkers everywhere. Um, I was terrified that they were gonna have a um a reanimated giant. Oh yes, I was on their team. Yeah. Um, one of the things, uh, I one of my favorite moments in the entire battle though has to be. It was beautiful. And also the audio, again, played a huge role. When the Night's King is standing on the cliff and, like, the bodies just fall over, like, they just sort of tumble over onto the ground. Do you remember this? 
Oh, yes, yes. And it was so good because you just hear it, and it's so gross to watch. Cause you're like, what? They're just flopping down on the ground, and then they just get up. And you're just like, whoa. I mean, it was so – I mean, of course, you know they're zombies, and yet they're still – that's the thing. They're zombies, and I couldn't be sicker of zombies in anything. It's just like I don't want to see any more zombies, and they're finding new cool things to do with them. I, I, yeah, it's it, because it, the, the image of all the zombies jumping off the cliff and then getting up because if you're a zombie, you know, why wouldn't you? Right. Uh, you're not going to be hurt, and that's the fastest way to get – it's like when you're playing uh, – They sort of fall off the cliff. They don't really jump. They sort of just like flop. Like well, yeah. It's, it, it's like when you're playing Skyrim and you're, your armor is so good that it does – like you can't – you, <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. you could fall off a mountain and, and not take any damage. Right. So if you need to get somewhere, you just you – know, you jump off a cliff. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Then? And it, it's great because it is a very uh, – No falling damage. Woo. Exactly. It's a strong image to have all of these bodies tumbling off the cliff and then getting and the up. Sound, but it makes sense. The sound is so gross. Um, um, but yeah, and it's intimidating very too. Cool. You're like, what do you do to against an army of the dead like that? Uh, and then the best, and it's just like you hundreds of them just pouring over right. the cliff. And then that's when they like, they're like, all right, I guess we're done here. And then they just, <laughs> we gotta go. <laughs> and they leave. And uh, I also really liked, but again, another point when Kit, Kit Harrington really sold it when he leads those uh, when he says, you know, crows to me, and then he goes and charges into them earlier in the battle. Uh, another great moment. I just, I don't know. I just thought he really. Killed it again, um, but anyway, I... oh, we got to we got to talk about um, <laughs> the the big moment oh, of the bat, this the fight. Is when he when he confronts the White Walker. Okay, right. So before we get into the final thing where the bodies fall off the cliff, right? There's this he has this whole fight with um, yeah, an actual Walker. What I love is that um, sometimes the show will, in their previously ons, include a scene that. Uh, doesn't seem to have any immediate relevance to the storylines that are going on, but you know that because they included it, will, it right. something is going to happen. And then the previously on, they went all the way back to season one and uh, reminded us that John's sword is Valyrian steel. Right. Uh, so they do the great setup, reminding us in this episode that uh, White Walkers can just uh, shatter other blades. They, like, you know, completely break them apart. But John, in oh, it's so good the way. And I, what am I remembering? I think it's oh, you know what. Speaking of Lord of the Rings, this is exactly like the moment when Aragorn is confronting the uh, Ghost King, and his sword connects with him. Oh, the Witch King? Wait, when? The Witch King? Or no, no, no. Remember when he's going to confront all the ghosts under the uh, in the caves? And um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no the Ghost the King. King. Sorry, not the Witch King. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, his um, the, the King. Yeah, the King under the mountain. And he proves that the, the, the blade the has been reforged because it can stop the right. Uh, yes. The yeah, it's a bit like that. You're right. Uh, but it's such a cool moment because um, it, well, first of all. I assumed that this was going to be how they would do it. It has nev- never been... It's not canon that Valyrian Steel can, can beat White Walkers. Well, now it is. Yeah, but it wasn't up new. to this point. I was like, wait, what? What just happened? Well, now they have one... And I'm a little <laughs> More upset. than one thing. I'm a little upset because... I thought they were going to have to do something cool with Obsidian. But now it's like, why use Obsidian? I, well, I guess because Valyrian Steel is not very common. But, like, that's much better for a sword than Obsidian's. not really... It's just a stone. Valyrian well, Steel is actually can draw substantive an... and can't break. I think you can draw an interesting parallel between Obsidian and uh, what we know about Valyria. Uh, because Obsidian, they call it dragon glass. Right, dragon and, uh, steel and then... Yeah, Valyria... Dra- dragon steel and Valyria was all about the dragons somebody, and fire and flame. Somebody listed they were like dragon glass, dragon steel, dragon breath probably, and then maybe some other dragon... Oh yeah, no, I'm sure if, when, if, if the dragons ever came to the White Walker army, they could uh, destroy them. Mm-hmm. Which will probably be in the <gasps> big finale. Oh, what if, what if they have an ice dragon though? Would they? 
That'd be, that would cool. be pretty crazy. It would be cool. <laughs> it's the kind of thing the show would do, even if it's not in the books, just because... Apparently, apparently they have ice spiders. Yes, uh, they do have ice spiders. Or at I least really wanted... Rumor. When they showed up, I really wanted them to be riding the ice spiders. I was hoping that was going to happen, but I'm sure we'll get that at some point. As if it couldn't get more terrifying. Oh, yeah. Giant spiders made of ice. Probably dead by some, you know... No, but yeah, when uh, when when John cuts that White Walker in half, I, it was a real fist pump moment. I was, it was well, cheering. Well, the fight was good. You weren't sure it was going to happen, although I was like, I, now that I've decided John's going to win at the end, I assume he's never going to lose anything. Um, and the effect of when the when the Walker died, like it was all great, uh, really great stuff. Um, yeah, I thought it was all really good, and it was really cool to see the Knights King sort of observe this and be like, hmm. I'm, I'm glad they're reintroducing him. Um, I didn't recognize him at first, to be honest, uh, and I was like, "Oh, he's actually the the guy, like the big guy." Um, I just I don't know for some reason it didn't click with me uh, immediately. We haven't seen the bearded guy though from that Sam saw, right? Yeah, that was the that was the only White Walker we ever saw for a long time. Yeah, and then we just I don't think we've seen him since. I it would have been cool if that was the one that John killed, right? It would have been, but I don't think it was. No, but I I think that that was. Um, like a White Walker lieutenant. I think that was the idea because you see like a, a few of them up on the hill. Right, 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 yeah. Uh, and I, I think the idea is that they are the, the leaders and that this one jumped down into the fray for whatever reason. Right. Uh, and <laughs> and paid the price. But yeah, I really liked reintroducing the Night's King. Clearly, uh, they're going somewhere with the story, finally. Uh, the, the refrain on Twitter that I saw when the episode ended was that uh, winter is, is finally here, mm-hmm. which they've been saying for since episode one, and I just, I, it just made me so happy. This is another great example of like they haven't gotten to this in the books. They haven't, and the and show it's is what finally been waiting for since season one. What I said, what I yeah. said when I saw season one was, what's brilliant about season one, and what's brilliant about Game of Thrones at the time, I thought, um, was that they set there all this political stuff was going on, all this stuff with Ned, all this, and ultimately none of it matters because the White Walkers are coming, and no one gets that. And it just, to me, it's like such. In many ways, it's almost like you know global warming or whatever you want to compare it to. But just oh, it's totally analogous to global warming. Right. Yeah, it's like yeah, this, there's this looming threat, but nobody can you know spend half a second to actually. Right, you can't see that. the forest for the trees. Right, you're so focused on what's going on right in front of you. Uh, and now you know that season one sets that up. You see them in the beginning. You see some whites, uh, and then we just don't get any more information. But you know it's a big threat for the rest of the season that you're always wondering in the back of your head. And then it just sort of dies over time. And then we get a little bit of it in season two. And then it just sort of dies. And then, oh, we get a little bit more with the Night's King. Oh, and then it sort of dies. But here it's like, yes, this is it. So I'm psyched because everything we're talking about with going in with Arya, what's going on with Cersei, what's going on with all these other characters may not even be relevant if winter comes with the White Walkers. So it's very, it's very exciting. Which uh, I would love if... Um... If ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what the series Game of Thrones was all about. Oh, I that, assumed it was. Yeah, no, I'm sure this is what they're going to do. Is that when the series comes to an end, it turns out that uh, none of it actually mattered. And we see all of these characters spend all of this time in this politicking and this personal stuff and whatever. And they all just get run over by the White Walker. <laughs> the only one left at the end is Jon Snow standing over the Night's King's body with his sword. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, so we just spoiled the end of Game of Thrones for you, so uh, for anyone who <laughs> no, was No, do we not mention we've seen all, all the episodes? Yeah, we've seen all the episodes and read all the books. He actually sent us advanced copies of his outline, yeah. so we're... we're, we're they filmed it. every episode <laughs> in advance. In advance. <laughs> kind of like... They don't the tell race. you that, but they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, 
the last thing we see in this scene is the Night's King reanimates all the people who just died, and it's very intimidating because you're like, how do you? It was so cool. How do you? <laughs> how do you defeat someone who's like literally thrives off of? I actually asked myself this aloud. I was like, how do you beat someone who literally uh, reinforces their army with the dead of that they lost in the previous? You know, it's like it's what do you, what do you do with that? Um, so this is a great moment. And it was a little weird at first. I was like, what is he doing? He's like posing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's this, it's this great, like, uh, first of all, there's no music. Great decision mm-hmm. because it's all the more chilling. Uh, no pun intended. It's all the more chilling. <laughs> um, and it's just this great moment where the Night's King is standing on the docks. I thought that he was like, what is he? Are they going to march into the sea after them? Is that where this is going? But he's just kind of facing off with Jon Snow and establishing – uh, establishing really interestingly establishing a like protagonist antagonist no, vibe so cool. directly. Yeah, well, because that we haven't gotten at the show. Well, he had observed John before, and he was like clearly he was someone to look out for. And then he defeats that Walker, and he's like, mm. and then here it's like they see each other, and it's like you, me. Yeah, and then it, yeah, and they're you know wordlessly uh, the Night's King if, makes this last chess move of raising showing John very dramatically that he can raise all the bodies up. Right. Uh, just beautifully, uh, well, and the pe- beautifully And the done. people's movements was very, they, they were, that was really good too. I thought they, a great job for the extras. Um, they did a great job. Um, but I think the other thing here that we're not mentioning, and I just want to throw this in there before we, we wrap up. Uh, the Night's King, wasn't he a crow at some point? Wasn't that the story? Uh, yeah, that's the lore. He was actually Lord Commander. Right, and I think that's yeah, the whole and, point um, here. He, that's the whole yeah, point. He, he knows he's Lord Commander, and he was—he's like, that's the connection that they have. It's yeah, that's. I think that is the parallel. Although I don't remember again, I don't remember if they've—they haven't established this in the show at all. But that's the and and um, I, re- I only know this because you told me. <laughs> but I think, I remember, and I remember that you also in that episode last season. I think you cut out all of my ramblings about the lore of the Night's King. Oh, great, uh, right, probably cause, rightly. Right, because well, only because I didn't want to spoil it. Um, <laughs> For other people, but well, what's interesting is that I don't. I think that they're actually doing a very different Night's King because obviously he was the Lord Commander. The Night's King was human at one point, so unless over hundreds of years he's turned into a White Walker, they're doing so. This is a different version of that idea, I think. It could be, it could, but if he is some, if he does have some connection, or if they at some point, you know, they figure, you know, having a conversation about what to do about the Night's King, and they're like, he, who is he? What was he? Uh, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, and then. You know, Maester Sam reads in a book. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the great thing for Sam to find out in exactly, a book. Exactly, which is probably what's going to happen, actually. Ooh, that all makes more sense. Oh, well, of course it makes sense since we've seen all of the episodes already, so. All right, everyone, so now you know. We're, we're, gonna, we're, you know, we're doing this for your, your benefit. It's for your benefit. <laughs> exactly. All right, um, I think that about wraps it up. Do you have anything else? Um, no, next week, The Dance of Dragons. Very, Dance of Dragons. very intriguing title. Anything with dragon in the title is a big deal. Um. So I'm excited. Just the fact that they're directly taking a, a book title, which they've never done before. Well, roughly. And, you know, not directly, indirectly, but it's It's, it's a reference. Same. It's clearly a reference. Well, the Dance with Dragons, isn't that also a thing in the books? Like a, a Yeah, that is thing. a historical thing. Uh, there was a whole... And this is, by the way, if you can find uh, the book that he wrote last year, a world, The World of Ice and Fire, and you could probably even find it online just a breakdown of it. It's a really interesting uh, kind of... It's own Game of Thrones story, the... Uh, Targaryen Civil War is basically what it was. Right. But um, it, it really cool. And I've, I completely forgot. Um, Ramsey also drops a book name. He says that he's going to leave Stannis' army. You know, We'll leave a feast for the crows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. the title of book four. <laughs> I heard that. I was like, oh, that's a, that's a book title. Um, 
It fit. It almost fit though. Like I was like, I didn't. Oh, it totally yeah, worked. It was not. It didn't seem weird, but I was like, oh, that's a book title. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but so I think that the other thing this could be, it could be a total uh, tease where they just talk about this thing that happened a long time ago, and it just informs some decision Daenerys makes, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Know, but Daenerys. It's gonna be about Daenerys's wedding, and she's gonna dance. <laughs> yep. There we go. There we go. You heard it here first. All right. Um, so look forward to uh, Daenerys's dancing wedding next week. And uh, <laughs> that's what they should have called the episode that. <laughs> <laughs> they really should have. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again next week. All right.